to our loyal listeners who uh, may have discovered that we were supposed to review Cannibal Holocaust uh, a while ago, I'm sorry for lying to you. And the review is coming, so just sit tight. Just wait a month. It's just going to be a month because I I don't think we actually got the chance to say because last episode we were hacked or something. We were cutting out like crazy. We had to end it early. May is going to be Sci-Fi Month. Um, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a tight month. Okay, we're doing THX one one three eight. We're doing They Live. We're doing Wrath of Khan. And Matt, what was your pick? We're doing Barbarella. Hell yeah. Okay, get excited. And that'll be the last Star Trek we ever do. That is wrong. We are going to be doing more. We'll so never get excited. Do, we'll never do more Star Trek. That's it for Star get Trek. Get excited. We're doing no. all six of no. the original films. No. <laughs> no. No way. No. Oh, yeah. We're doing them. We're doing no. them. No, we're not. We're not doing them. Okay. We're going we're gonna to be doing all six. We may do Generations. We'll do First Contact if we have time. No. At yep. best, at best, we'll like no, no, vetoed. We're gonna right. be doing the whole animated series. That's and okay. If we have time, we'll do Voyager, Enterprise, Deep Space Nine. We'll do the whole thing. Uh, it is storming out right now. I just saw lightning. If oh, and a bit of thunder. I don't know if that's gonna be picked up on the mic, but if so, hey, adds to the atmosphere. Um, so hey, whatever. Anyways, get excited for all the Star Trek reviews coming soon. Uh, In other news, Quentin Tarantino revealed the backstory of the Gimp in Pulp Fiction. Did you know that? Well, we'll save that for the Gimp episode. For the Gimp episode? Actually, no, I didn't hear it. What was it? He said he was a kidnapped hitchhiker who over seven years was trained to be the perfect victim. Oh, cool. That's kind of depressing. Um, I like the uh, I like the backstory for the Reservoir Dogs having no um, scenes about the actual robbery. Yeah, was, I like that too. It was just because they didn't have the money to. Is that really why? Yeah. So Tarantino wanted to do like he would have if he had the budget? Yeah. I didn't know that actually. I thought that was just like a clever little... But that is a that is a clever workaround. I'll say that. Yeah, and I I, I like I like what uh, I like the finished product. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Ah, uh, God. Uh, <laughs> talking hey, about Luke, the gods must be crazy. Lucas didn't really like that movie, this movie that much, as you can tell. Uh we'll get into it. I we'll get into uh, it. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're talking about the gods must be crazy. Let me give you guys a quick rundown of this movie, okay? This is a 1980 South African film. This is actually the most self- successful commercially South African film in history. Um, and what is it about? It's set in Botswana, and it follows the story. It follows the story of I I think it's Key. It's like C. Yeah. It's Key, and he's a bushman. And he mm-hmm. lives in the bush, in the Kalahari Desert, blissfully unaware of civilization. 
and he's loving it. And he's got a son. He's got a wife. He's having a good time. They're, uh, you know, picking berries and singing songs in the campfire. One day, a glass Coca-Cola bottle falls from the sky. And they believe that it's a present from the gods. But after it causes a lot of conflict and jealousy and a little bit of violence, Key decides that he's going to take this bottle and throw it to the end of the world and give it back to the gods uh, because it's evil. And then that's that's sort of like the... I wouldn't even... Not necessarily even the focus of the film. You get some you get three concurrent plot plots that sort of converge together. You have uh, the odyssey of this terrorist group uh, led by... A man named Sam Boga, who is attempting to upset the uh, political balance in Botswana, and is from ninety percent of the movie on the run. And you also have biologist Andrew Stain and his assistant Mupudi, who are helping out this newly hired village school teacher named Kate Thompson, uh, who has just arrived from supposedly America. I think I, they don't actually say where she's from. She could either be from Johannesburg or from America. I honestly do not know. <laughs> the thing to keep in mind with this movie is that it was... A lot of it is in Afrikaans, but it's dubbed over in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is some English portions in it. But a lot of it is dubbed. In fact, Kate Thompson's portion is entirely dubbed. Uh, but anyway, continuing on with the plot. Um, Z happens upon a herd of goats on his quest. And he shoots one with a tranquilizer arrow, but is sent to jail. Uh, Stain and Mupudi are sent to help him out because Mupudi is the only one who is able to speak Key's language. So they get him out of there by employing him as a tracker, as Stain is a biologist. Um, and then what happens is gorilla, the Samboga's gorillas take Kate's school hostage for their escape to a neighboring country. Um, while Stain, Mupudi, and Z are immersed in their fieldwork, they find, uh, they see the group of children walking by, and they hatch a plan to immobilize them. Uh, they take them all out, um, and Sam Boga's taken into custody, and Z is sent back to his tribe. In a funny note, uh, Stain pays Key for his, um, pays his wages for his uh, service, and that was part of the deal for him being released from jail, that he has to work. Um, and, and Z takes the money, and then later on in the film, we see he just ripped it up and scattered it in the wind, which is quite funny. <laughs> um, and, Stan, and Stan eventually begins a relationship with Kate, uh, and, the, and the be- probably the big climax, well, not the climax, but the, at the very end of the film, Z arrives at God's Window, which is a place in Botswana. Is that a real place? It's a real place. Oh, okay. It's called God's Window. Um, it's just a sheer, it's like a 700 meter tall cliffs. Um, and it's, and it's got cloud cover and he just throws it off and then he returns to his tribe. And that's basically the plot of the film, but we'll get into the nitty gritty in a minute. Mm-hmm. Now, Lucas, this movie, it didn't grab you. It didn't what? grab me. What, what happened? The what movie happened? started off really, really high, and as the movie just went on and on and on, it started fading more and more and more. While I was watching, I was like, man, this is really good. And then at a certain point, I was like, okay, I like this as much as I liked watching Ed Wood. And then I was like, oh, I, okay, I kind of like this as much as I liked watching like uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. And then it got to a point where I'm like, huh, 
This is kind of at a clerk's level. That's right. I don't know if it dipped below that or not, but I'll explain. I'll explain kind of my journey watching this movie. So the movie starts out really, really well, and it just start, it shows you this village, this bush of village, and how they go through life and how they see life, and it's narrated by this British guy. It makes you feel like you're watching like a National Geographic episode or something. And there's, you know, cheerful little National Geographic music in the background. And it's just showing how the village people see everything as a gift from the gods. Even something like a poisonous snake, they appreciate as long as they're on the end that rattles rather than the end that bites. And then there's just this funny clip. Of, like, uh, what are we calling him? Key? Let's call him Key. Key grabs a snake and <laughs> just kills it and eats it. Um, it's, a, it's a funny thing ever. He slams the snake on the ground head first and then it's just dead. And then he's like, hmm. and then they go uh, and they have a little feast. And they're showing how there's no possession. Everything is just community owned and they don't have a Monday or a Tuesday every day. It's just another day and just another, you know, str- and I wouldn't say another struggle, but just another grind, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it cuts in like the most comedic fashion, and the narrator's talking about uh, the civilized man. And then it cuts to whatever L.A. or whatever it is, and you just see the hustle and bustle of the city. And he's like, at something called seven thirty p.m., people will rush to work, and at eight p.m., people will pretend to be doing their jobs. And on a thing called a Monday, they'll complain about the day all day long. And it just goes on and on and on. And it's really funny um, that he's calling it like, you know, the civilized man. And then it shows how uh, arbitrary and silly modern day life is and the modern wagey life is compared to just this natural lifestyle. Not that Mm -hmm. I I mean, I would much prefer uh, a modern day civilized lifestyle than living in the bush personally. Um, But it's just funny um, how happy they're portrayed this, you know, this, um, I don't want to say animalistic, but uh, this is just tribal family. They're primitive. Primitive family to this, uh, you know, the modern day person or whatever. I loved I loved all that stuff. I thought it was so, so, so funny. And then eventually when the Coke bottle drops on this on this tribe, they start fighting over it. And I noted that I really liked how the thing that kind of ruined their life was capitalistic iconography. Yeah, it is. It is very, it's a very conscious choice to have the Coke bottle fall and cause chaos. Like if they uh, made this movie today, it could have been like an iPhone box yeah i mean it could still be coke that still would work but yeah you could you could have done a number of things or like a big mac could have been like an amazon an empty amazon box or something like that i don't know anything like that it's 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 easy symbolism or very obvious symbolism but it works very well and it was and it's very clever i think yeah and i i like the movies where they'll just take an ordinary object and kind of just elevate it like you know a famous example is wilson and castaway mm-hmm. yeah and you know what i was thinking in the movie i hope they i hope the coke bottle still floating around there i'd love to have that coke bottle yeah in the movie <laughs> uh wilson is is a good one too 
there's a lot of it. It is great, and I I would and you could argue that the Coke bottle is probably one of the most. It's probably the iconic thing from this movie. When people, I've I talked to a couple people about this movie. One person said, "Is that the movie with the Coke bottle?" So I guess that's what most people know it from. Yeah, and I, when I like just like every movie when we're doing it, like people say, "Oh, what movie are you doing?" And I said this one, and I was surprised because I've heard of this movie, but when I talked about it with other people, they're like, "What? What is that?" And I thought it was pretty well known, but no one I no one I talked to knew about it. Interesting. Well, you know what? It's it's it is pretty. It's the most commercially successful South African film. Made some two hundred million dollars, uh, and there were a few sequels. But I mean, I guess relative. I guess in the state or in, in the Western world or especially here in Canada, it was a minor hit, which is why it's a cult pick per se. And why right. we chose it for the show. But, um, um, you know, continue. Oh, I was just, I was just going to go ahead with what, uh, why it kind of lost its grasp for me. But if you want to say something, that's fine. No, no, continue. I want to hear what you say. And then I have my piece to say too. Sure. So then... I at around this movie was what uh, an hour and fifty minutes. It's an hour and fifteen minutes, five zero. Yeah. Yeah. So at around like maybe the thirty or forty minute mark, they introduce, um, the the woman character. What was her name again? Uh, Kay Thompson. Okay, so I'm I always forget movie character names. Like even movies I love, I'll forget their names. Anyway, so when they introduce Kate, that's when the movie's like for me starts to go downhill, and not because she's a woman or anything stupid like that just because <laughs> just because um they start of they they start to shift focus away from what i think made the movie so great at the beginning and then they start to just devolve into this really unconvincing and crappy love story and like you said there are three plots in this movie and it's like the story of key the um the terrorist group, and then this sort of love story with um, to, um, Kate and the biologist. And, like, it just got so boring because mm-hmm. they are dubbed, but the people dubbing them are talking in a really monotone and boring voice. So that really doesn't help. And then the actors that are, the body actors, aren't doing a bang-up job of, showing any romantic interest in one another it's like an early comedy movie where the guy will like fumble around and be like whoops and accidentally like touch the woman's breast and she goes ah and then they fall in love in the end for some reason it's yes yeah it's kind of this same issue i had with um office space where they had a really great premise and then they just like butchered it with stupid to me stupid uh, love subplots that i really didn't need because i don't think it actually added anything to the movie that was enjoyable mm-hmm. as the movie went on i mean they had they had some jokes that landed but after a while it's just like oh it's just another slapstick joke all right yes. like it's mean... just go ahead no, and you, well, you're right because um, I actually didn't expect this movie to be that much slapstick. But this movie is a lot of slapstick. It's, it's like if you've ever seen it, and I, and you know, it's funny. I mentioned it recently to to Luke specifically, but if you ever seen Airplane, which came out in the same year, 
it has sort of that same feel, which is to say that very situational gag heavy thing. You'll have a couple long running jokes here. Um, I, I would say that this one has a bigger emphasis on physical comedy um, than necessarily airplane or anything like that. But it is it is primarily set slapstick humor for the rest of the film after the initial 20 or so minutes, I would say. Yeah, there's one really interesting thing that happens, and they they kind of swipe it off to the side, and I wanted it to be explored a bit more. There's a scene where, and Matt talked about it, where Key is on his journey to the edge of the earth, and he finds this field of goats, and he's just like, oh, I'll shoot one. So he just shoots it, and then there's somebody watching, presumably the owner of the goats, and he calls over like the police or whatever it is, and Key doesn't speak um, I don't know what language they would be speaking, uh, but he, he doesn't speak what they're, whatever language they're speaking, and the narrator comes back, and he, the narrator's only there for key, and when the police come, uh, the narrator says, like, uh, key couldn't understand, like, what he was so upset about, because key was saying that, like, he would share the go with him. Uh, yeah, he said there's plenty of meat to go around. And then the officer takes a goat and puts it on his car. And then Key's like, well, if you're taking the whole thing, I'll just have to catch myself another one. <laughs> and, and then, then he... No, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then they go. he goes to court for it. And I really wanted to see that sort of court scenario played out longer because it is... It would be kind of interesting to see, like, would they find a bush man like actually they find him guilty but would they find him actually guilty if they had you know had a long proper court scene mm-hmm. um i just i i thought that there was a lot of good ideas that kind of went uh that that they didn't really keep going with or explore more I'll say this. There, I agree with you on some of the friends. And I'm going to say this. The romantic, romantic subplot is nothing to write home about. And now, I think we've talked on the show before about how a lot of movies, they just have their romantic subplot literally just because mm-hmm. the audience will connect easier because it, it pulls in viewers, blah, 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 blah. But in this case, I was not particularly offended by it. And the reason why is because it's almost a farce to me of a romance because what you have is just this man acting impossibly stupid. And the premise here is that biologist Andrew Stain, who um, is, comes into contact with Kate Thompson frequently, and he's, his, she's a, he's her initial uh, sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, person that you meet when you first get somewhere. Um, she, she's his first contact when she gets to Botswana. Mm-hmm. And, and biologist Andrew Stain is nervous because he says... Uh, whenever he's around women, he acts like an idiot. Okay. And and then in the rest of the film, he's just acting like an idiot. So every time she's in his presence, he's doing impossibly inappropriate things accidentally. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, in the fir- in the in one instance, they're sitting at a fire, and then a rhino comes to stamp it out, um, and she and he tackles her. Mm-hmm. And she runs up a tree, and she sees no rhino. She sees him stamping out the last remains of the fire, and she just thinks he's a pervert. Yeah. And that sort of recurs throughout the whole film. They don't really have any connection whatsoever. Really, it's just Andrew. It's just Mr. Stain bumbling about, and then Kate Thompson just kind of being disgusted by his stupidity. 
And then what we get at the end of the film is like that obligatory moment where it goes, okay, actually, I think you're kind of cute. You can start <laughs> dating. Yeah. So this to me is the reason why it didn't bother me so much is because it was barely a love story. It was just really like, I don't want to say it was not a parody of love story because I think they did that deliberately. But it was almost such an afterthought that it, to me, didn't intrude on my enjoyment of the film as a whole. I did. I think that as characters, as particularly Stain, he had a lot of comedic moments physically. Uh, there's some good running gags with him, too. Uh, for Kate Thompson, I guess for the most part, she's just the object of his affection. But she pulls her own in certain scenes and she helps drive the plot forward. So I really did not mind the romantic subplot in that regard. Hmm. That was me personally. Uh, usually, I am. I usually get very annoyed uh, by these unnecessary romantic subplots, of which there are a lot. I actually like to give kudos to. Uh, I think we talked. I think we said Night of the Living Dead did that well. There was like, there's couples in it, but there was no romantic sub subplot underlying it. Even though they could have done that with uh, Barbara, and uh, I forgot the main guy's name. Ben. That was just an example. Uh, yeah, Ben. There it is. But anyway, um, I did like this film. I enjoyed this film quite a bit. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. And there's three So there's three concurrent subplots. And they, I think they all serve a purpose. So, of course, you have Key. And a big portion of the comedy of this film is um, an outsider in man's world. Um, and he's sort of there to poke fun at all the things that we do and take for granted as, quote-unquote, civilized people, right? Mm -hmm. Um. There's that. You sort of have this war, this terrorist subplot, which I thought was a nice juxtaposition, especially around, I want to say, like, the after that initial documentary sequence of the film, when you see them fighting. There's a couple mm -hmm. times when it switched back to Key's sort of peaceful um, uh, safari homeland life, savannah life. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice juxtaposition to me. It was to show the hustle and bustle of civilization is really people killing each other, whereas Key is just looking... Uh, to ha to have fun with his son, or to search for food and such like that. Mm -hmm. and, you, and then the third plot, third subplot, you get Stain and and Thompson and Mapudi. They work as sort of a accompaniments to Key later on, and they provide some own comedic moments as well. I like the three aspects of the film, and I think they work well because it's really this film to me is like is part like treaties on the idea of civilization and ha 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 and the comparison with Bushman and such. And that's uh, honestly a smaller part of the film than I expected. But what you get here is a lot of running gags that I think pull off very well. Some of them take a long time to set up. And for that reason, um, and I think you and I can both agree, there are parts of the film that drag. But yeah. I think I think that to a degree, the payoff, especially towards the end of the film, is worth it. Um, you get the physical comedy in this, I think, is superb. There's one running gag that I love where Stain has this car that has no brakes. Yeah. And I swear to I swear there's like 20 minutes of the movie with him wrestling with this car and somehow they keep it funny. I think mm -hmm. they kept it funny. Um he's constantly having trouble with it with the cinch with the brakes uh with everything. His whole deal throughout the movie is sort of the bumbling fool, exasperated bumbling fool. But I think he plays it well. And the actor's name is... Oh, it's escaping me. Marius Anders, I believe. I'm going to look it up. The cast listing here. Uh, yes, Marius Weyers, pardon, plays Stain. 
Uh, he actually performed his own English language dub, so that is his voice. That oh, you can okay. See. Um, no, but I actually, I think there's a lot of great gags in this. One thing that I want to highlight in particular, and I don't know if this is unethical or if there was any sort of unethical going about in the production of the film, but they use a lot of animals in this film, and then you can, and I swear to you, the animals are like actors in this film. It's so strange. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like maybe that, I don't know if they were treating them poorly, if there were animals harmed in the production, but it was... To me, an aspect of the film that was really immersive, you get this monkey that picks up this Coke bottle uh, and he hides in the tree and he's saying, give it back to me. And he's trying to reason with him. And the monkey's just looking inside the bottle. He's pitching it around. And then eventually he just throws it away in a sort of contemptuous way. And then he picks and then he picks it up and keeps it on this journey. You get a lot of instances of that. The rhino that comes to stamp out the fire. The rhino, a- I think, was a suit. It might. It, the, I think the rhino, if anything was a suit, that was the rhino was a suit for yeah. sure. The elephant, I think, was real. All they had was an elephant on the ground that got up and walked away again. But there was even a hyena that dug up the Coke bottle. Mm-hmm. This is just something that I haven't seen a lot in a lot of films, which is like good animal acting. Um, and I guess it's an aspect that will that will sort of fade away um, because you know the unethical treatment of animals is becoming more and more ups- unacceptable. Of course, it's unacceptable, but now it's. It's it's I believe it's illegal to do such things if there were I honestly as as Luke had noted to me before the show there aren't a lot of production notes about this movie so I actually do not know how they pulled off some of these things uh, and this was filmed in South Africa so presumably they had access to these animals but I'm gonna assume they're trained but anyway that was the aspect that I love um, there's a lot of good running gags that uh, work out whenever a character has. Um, a sort of unfortunate incident elsewhere and they return, someone will ask them, what happened? And they'll say, I don't want to talk about it. And every time they said that, that was quite funny to me. Mm. There's something that I wanted to ask you, and and I'm starting to wonder if this is sort of a trope of the African quote-unquote film. In and I compare this to Who Killed Captain Alex because that's the only other African film I've seen. Although that I think I know what you're gonna say, which is like this slapstick comedy that has that is sped up. Yeah, yeah, and they do that well in Captain Alex, and they think I think they do that well here, and I I don't know if that's a trait of African cinema, but you get these slapstick situations that are made a little bit more funny, I guess, because they just speed things up, and it's sort of like. It's sort of like an old, um, it's like a silent film, you know, where Charlie Chaplin is walking and it, it just shows him, it just cuts really fast, you know, like right. he's walking really fast or he's stumbling about and he gets up. Uh, and I thought that it's sort of lended a nice, qual- uh, like old timey quality to the film as well. Um, it was like a very explicit way of saying this is a film that you're made to take in jest. It's supposed to be sort of slapsticky and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I liked a lot of the physical humor as well. There's, uh, there, I, I mentioned running gags. There's a, quite a few of them. There's these two guys that play cards constantly that I thought was hilarious. They're um, like the classic um, villain sidekick duo who are just bumbling idiots. They, yes, they're the bumbling idiots. We spoke about these uh, character archetypes in the Super Mario Bros. episodes Yeah. with, uh, with what's his name? I don't even remember their name. Spike and uh, Spike Iggy. and Iggy. Yeah. Uh, and you also get... You also had that... In another case, these guys work because they, uh, they're they bumbling idiots, I suppose, but really all they just do is they don't want to work and they play cards, and it's really funny because they're, 
boss just uh, tells him, the boss even tells him, if you play cards one more time, uh, you're going to get shot. And then when he goes to sleep, they run, they run like a mile off into a crevice to play cards. And the funny thing is it's a two-player game, so they're playing like Go Fish or something. I don't even know what they're playing. Um, but there's a lot of great gags in this that I think pay off well. It's, it's a comedy film that has some very explicit slapstick humor, but there's also some subtle humor, of course, um, in terms of just dialogue and interaction and stuff, which I thought was nice. I thought it had a nice blend of humor overall. Yeah, there was a point, and again, this is just my opinion, um, there was a point in the movie, maybe in like kind of the last third or last quarter of the movie, where there were just so many jokes that I feel like the movie kind of just got lost in the sauce almost. Yeah, and, okay. And, I mean, you know, a comedy movie having jokes you need, but for me, the reason why I put on a movie and I don't put on an epic fail compilation on YouTube <laughs> to watch people get hit in the nuts over and over again is because I need, and I want something deeper than that. And not every movie has to be, you know, social commentary or anything like that, but I just needed something a little deeper. And as the movie went on, I feel like I lost that any situation where key could have had an interesting exchange with the people. I, I feel like they kind of, took a lazy way out like he would just he would just make some little comment and that was it and mm -hmm. i i kind of wanted a deeper joke yeah which i i didn't really get yeah no i i understand that and i'll agree to an extent because the film depends a lot on sight gags and running jokes and situational comedy that plot wise it suffers it's not a particularly arresting story uh, even and I would argue, I would say arguably the worst part of the movie for me was the climax of the film. Not because, yeah. just because in that portion it was dedicated to drama and action, uh, and those and the three converging storylines weren't particularly interesting in any degree. So mm -hmm. I will agree at that in terms of narrative, it's it's not very um, intriguing. I would say. But to me, it is kind of like the airplane thing, where the airplane situation is just like, you have this parody of a movie or, or of a situation or of a plot, and it's just an excuse or a vehicle to have these gags. So you sort of live and die in the quality of the gags. Uh, apologies to the uh, comparisons to Airplane, but I really like Airplane. I saw it again recently for the third time. But um, no, it's, um, I'll agree with that. It's not, it's not the best story in the world. Um, and I think the film as a whole does suffer from that. Um, and there are portions of the film, especially the portions where you just have to set up this narrative that you that most people will probably not find particularly interesting that is where it drags. I think you'll agree. Yeah. Was there any particular instance or any particular gags that did not pull off for you? Um... You you said the I don't want to talk about it one that one I didn't even think was a gag until you mentioned it. I think they say it like some seven or six times in the film, so I I take and because many characters say it, I took it as a as a running gag, one of many. And the car not working eventually got on my nerves. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Um. What else? There were. I don't. I can't think of anything 
off the top of my head that didn't work. I can think of some ones that like did work really well for me. Like for example, the government is chasing down that gang or whatever. Mm-hmm. And eventually they find him in a helicopter. And I think I don't know if it was the characters that were that played cards constantly, but I think it was they have a bazooka. Yeah. Then they take the bazooka and they fire it at the well, they're trying to shoot at the helicopter. But they're in a, a banana farm or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they just hit the tree and then bananas go flying. Yeah. And then they yeah. try to load the bazooka again. Uh and but then the little missile or whatever it is just like falls out the back of it. Yeah, and, and stuff it keeps, like and it keeps falling out. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that worked really well for me. Um there what other ones? I mean, at first the car worked really well. Um and then I don't know. I can't think of I can't think of any more right now, but there there was I mean, the, I really like the ending where Key just kind of walks back to his village and then takes a right turn and then he's at the edge of the universe or whatever and then he just tosses a bottle. I, I yeah. kind of, sometimes I like, um, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know if you'd call them unsatisfying endings. I guess anticlimactic. Like he just, he just finds the edge of the world and then he tosses it off, shrugs and walks back. No, I like that too. Actually, that was probably my favorite. If we're talking cinematography wise, this film is 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 not necessarily Marvel, but I actually really like the scene where he stands on the on God's window, uh, and he yeah. just, and you see the cloud cover everywhere, and then he just kind of nonchalantly tosses the Coke bottle into the crevice, and then he's like, "All right, back to home." I like that shot too. And when I was watching, I was kind of like, "Oh, wow, this is a nice shot of the movie," because the movie really is shot like. It's just okay. Yeah, it's it's just kind of typical eighties comedy fare, I guess. It's it's nothing to write home about. One thing I wanna talk about, um if you have nothing else that you wanna really jump on. No, I think yeah, go ahead. Um is that the what was I gonna say? Um Oh my gosh, I keep forgetting everything. <laughs> oh, the the dubbing, sorry. Okay, in this movie, they voice over pretty much every character. Yes. And normally I wouldn't care about that. Like, I watched the original Godzilla vs. King Kong, and in that movie I had to turn it off because it was really starting to irritate me how the audio was just a little bit off. Right. And then recently I watched Suspiria, and in that movie, they dub over all the characters well, but the movie was so gorgeous, and the plot was captivating enough that it kept me going. But in this movie, there are some instances where the dubbing is so bad, I really can't forgive it. No, and I'll agree. I think the dubbing is one of the weak parts of the film. Initially, I thought my... Uh, the download I had was of a poor quality and things weren't matching up, but then I saw, then I looked it up and it was a dub. I'll agree, especially for Kate Thompson, you're right. She doesn't have the, and she doesn't do the actress, uh, Sandra Prinsloo. She doesn't do her own dubbing for the American version. The reason they dubbed her English dialogue is because she had a heavy South African accent. Oh, Um, okay. That's the reason. But yeah, I'll agree that the dubbing is leaves something to be desired, especially when the characters don't move their mouths a lot and 
you just have this ADR effect that doesn't really sound that doesn't really match up well with the film. That was a big detractor from the film as well for me. I would have liked if I almost want to see this film like in its original language um, with the English dialogue, with the accents, and then with the non-English dialogue with subtitles to a degree. Yeah. I'll agree. I'll agree with that, that the dubbing is leaves something to be desired for sure. What, one character that was pretty much the worst for it, in my opinion, was Stain's assistant or whatever Mapudi. his relationship is. Yeah, yeah, there were scenes where like he would be turned away from the camera or far away from Stain, and then his dubbing was like real loud, like as if he yes. was talking right at the camera. And that's the kind of crappy ADR effect they have where they it sort of just feels like people talking over the movie rather than having the dialogue and such happening within the movie, if that makes sense. You can tell mm-hmm. very clearly that it's post-production work. And it's and I suppose it's not a big detraction. It's it helps that a film like this relies so much on physical visuals and physical comedy. I think that's part of the reason why it was internationally successful is that a lot of it can be communicated without language. A lot of the comedy and the appeal of the film that is. Um, but I do agree that it's it detracts from the film. Yeah. No. Um. But I mean, overall, I think like. It, to me, really did... It didn't really make or break the film for me in that regard. The pacing's not that good, and the and the dubbing's not that good. I'll say that. Um, but to me, I think one of the other things that I didn't particularly like about this film, and I guess I'm just, once again, a victim of my own expectations, which kind of feels like a recurring theme on the show, but I kind of wanted it to examine the contrast between the civilization and the non-civilized people more. I'll agree with you that that first 20 or so minutes of the film done in the documentary style is arguably the best portion of the film. Yeah. Um, because even within that dry, like, sort of um, almost condescending British guy voice you have, there's still jokes within that sort of dry documentary style that were funny. Like, I was smiling throughout that sequence. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, perhaps, once again, I just it's something I expected a little bit more of in that regard, thematically. And I guess, especially narrative-wise, it didn't really help because you have these converging sublines, but when they converge, it's just sort of, ha- it's just to have a climax to wrap everything up. It doesn't, yes. really, it doesn't really have a set purpose that, you know, bolsters the ideas presented in the film or such. Mm-hmm. So that was also disappointing. I'll say that too. Yeah, like you I. Wanna... What? Sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I I almost <laughs> I kind of expected the movie, and this is a weird comparison, but I expected the movie, um, to be like Elf. Okay. Where he travels to the big city, and then he kind of sees the difference between yeah, his okay. civilization and regular civilization. Mm-hmm. And all it really devolved into was just Key going to see three people and yeah. then a terrorist group. And then the observations that he had, like, it, the title of the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, and I guess that was, like, Key's thoughts on society. But from what he saw, I don't think he could really draw that conclusion. Mm-hmm. 
because he didn't see a whole lot. So it didn't that really didn't make I don't know. I just needed a bit more from it. I think the reason they didn't have that sort of elf premise idea. Obviously elf came out after, but that is a good idea. I think the problem is that with in elf, Will Ferrell's character is an elf, but he's still basically civilized, right? They have civilization at the North Pole. If Key were to go to the big city, he would just look at everything and have no idea what the hell was going on. So perhaps that was a, would be a little bit too much to grapple with. Um, I don't know. I just feel like he, they could have like good gags, like him going into the city, and then like he's just wearing his little thong thing. Yeah, I did. I was waiting for that scene where he's. <laughs> uh, Key in this movie is dummy thick. I'm gonna say this, okay? <laughs> and he's wearing like this his thong like the back is like a thong and then the front is just like a loincloth sort of thing i really wanted to see him walk in the city with his bow and arrow at that sort of classic new york shot i think they have that in elf where elf is just walking among the business people or such and in his ridiculous garb i did want to see that scene and we didn't get that unfortunately like i even thought there's going to be a scene where he sees um (coughs) i've already forgotten her name again becky kate Kate, he sees Kate, and, like, she's wearing a bra or something, and then he would be, like, confused by that. One of, Actually, one of the funniest jokes in this movie for me is uh, when he first does see Kate, the narrative, so, Key is just... Oh, look- right, when he's, like, uh, she's pale, like, as a ghost, and, like, her yes. hair is, like, dead... I like to, I, in performance, I actually like to give kudos to the, to the narrator, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, who does a good job in this, I think, because Keep stumbles upon Kate changing, and she's a she's a very beautiful classic Hollywood woman, and Kate looks at her, and then the narrator says, "This woman was by far the ugliest person that Keith had ever <laughs> seen in his whole life. She had whitish hair, like she was old. She was pale, uh, and she was wearing some ridiculous clothing." I thought that was so funny. I laughed out loud. I think that was the funniest joke in the movie. Just because that happens pretty late in the film. So you're kind of waiting for that climactic moment for everyone to come together. So then when you see Key and he and he says and he looks at Sandra and thinks it's the ugliest woman ever. I don't know. I just thought that was hilarious. That was um, really good. And there was also just like another line where he, it, the narrator is like, he would have to like uh, take all the food of the village to feed her. Oh yes, and she, he said he's hu- She was huge, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was funny too. I don't know. It almost it see those little moments almost make you, and I guess it really do. They make you wish that they, you had sort of that dry documentary style throughout the film. I know, yeah. And you could argue that, and I was thinking about the parts of the film that drag, and I was sort of thinking maybe this is meant to sort of capture the documentary style in that regard and sort of a dry format, but I really don't think so. I think that might have been a cope on my part. Um, Yeah, that was a bit of a cope. That was a cope for me, but, and I think it would have, the film would have, it would have benefited from that, from like just committing to that sort of idea um, and keeping on with it. And you could still keep the slapstick, because once again, there's a lot of good gags in it. Um, I, I can't even name them all because there's quite a few. There's, it's a pretty joke-heavy movie. Um, do you want to talk about the performances in the film? Uh, I can, yeah. <laughs> they're not particularly noteworthy. I'll agree. Yeah, yeah. no, they're all like, uh, like 
honestly, the narrator probably does the best job. Like, I can't, I can't, uh, I want this movie to be much better. The, to me, like, all of the performances were so bland. Even Key, to me, like, I feel like most of his personality comes from the narrator rather than the actual guy. Okay, and you know what? And I'd like to talk about Key, and we'll talk about, um, and I want to talk about his actor because, so what they actually did for this movie is Key's actor, who whose name I won't bother to pronounce. It's N exclamation point X A U, um, and I'm not even gonna bother to pronounce that because I don't want to bring, I don't want to, um, dishonor it's, him. Or it, it's not like a Russian name where it's like Vladimir, and people are like, how do you say this? This is like there's literally clicks in the name, so I'm not gonna disrespect them that hard. But he is an actual Bushman. This is something mm-hmm. to note. So his casting in this movie, and I guess his acting to a degree, is is fairly realistic because he did really not have that much contact civilization. When they paid him for this film, he literally threw away the money as he did in the film. <laughs> I didn't fun. know that. That is fun. That's one of the things I read when I was doing that. So he very much is in character. Method acting, if I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mind. I think he does a good job. I mean, he's convincing. He, he doesn't really have any dialogue that is in clicks at all, actually. Um, and he'll just, and he usually just has this sort of, uh, like, sort of, this sort of, he furrows his brow. He's sort of concentrating, squinting most of the time. Mm-hmm. I thought he was fine. I, I liked him. He was kind of, he played off, like, the innocent, uh, he played innocent very well. Uh, like whenever he gets into mishap, you sort of feel bad for him because you know that he doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I'll agree. I liked his performance. I did like the narrator, and I also did like Mapudi. I thought he worked very well as the sort of wise cracking assistant um, to to Stain. He has a few. He has a couple of uh, jabs at him here and there. I don't know. He just had a sort of. Uh, sort of exasperated but kind of like snarky attitude that i appreciated is this a compliment of writing or performances that's a good question well he has he has good lines but he also he also he delivers them well okay i think so um and then no you're but you are right um but and then for the most part the the rest is whatever stain is fine kate thompson is whatever Sam Boga, the most noteworthy thing about him is that he looks like Charles Manson. I said that. I was like, dude, this is a, like Arabic Charles Manson. He's, I, think he's, I think he's meant to be like white or he's white. He's not black in this movie, if you wonder. He's whitish. Uh, I thought and, I thought they said like he he was an Arabic terrorist or like he, leader probably, or something. You're right. I might have missed that. But I, I, this guy looks like Charles Manson. I'm not talking early Charles Manson. I'm talking... Uh, late interview Charles Manson when he's doing the dances. Yes. Yeah, uh, when he's got the full beard and the hair. Um, yeah, he looks exactly like him. Yeah. No. He... <laughs> um, and then I believe that's it. There's this one character in the film that's really superfluous that I didn't like, um, and his name's Jack Hine. Basically, he's the jackass of the movie, um, and he's basically there to be the competition to stain for Kate's heart, so to speak. Oh yeah, what was that character? That character was a waste of time. Um, yeah. The character was basically there just to be a dick and take credit and sort of one-up stain. And I can, and that was probably the biggest aspect of the romantic subplot that I did not enjoy. 
just because they had to have that character to create tension. They could have really done away with that character and had Kate have no other interests um, and nothing would have changed. He doesn't provide much comedy to the scenes he's in, which are fairly few. He is show he does show up in the climax to help out a bit, um, but that's it. You could have filled this role by any other guard, so I don't know why he's in the film per se. Yeah, my favorite part, my favorite thing with him is that he has this like dune buggy that he takes across the desert, mm-hmm. um, and then while he's driving across this huge desert, he just gets up from the driver's seat while it's still driving, and then he pours a drink in the back, and then he gives in, and then he just gets back in the driver's seat. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a funny thing. You get some sort of gags like that that I liked a lot, where they don't really call too much attention to themselves, but when you kind of think about it, the humor of the situation becomes apparent. You get one, another one later on, when the terrorists are escaping in two Jeeps, and one of the Jeeps break down, um, so naturally they say, okay, everybody get into this one Jeep. We're going to go all together. And then it's just funny because they're all piled in and they look silly, not like outrageously silly, but it, it's like eight guys in a car. And then you have the two guys in the car in the back, uh, playing cards to top it all off. So there's some good gags. There's some good subtle humor. I felt like that in the, that, uh, goes throughout the film. Probably my favorite slapstick moment was, I forget what the context was, but there was this dude working just kind of like a a toll booth on the road. Yeah, gas station. A gas station. Um, and then um, there he's on the radio with someone, and they're like, if you see the dudes in the tanks, like, stop them or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he gets out because he sees a tank and he's waving his arms and he's like, stop, stop. And then the tank just rolls over his little toll booth. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That is not the gas station. So that was like, there's like a border. That was like the border patrol, I think, or something yeah. like that. And yeah, so then the terrorists plow through the, the gate, but then the army guys plow through the whole shack. Yes. And then after that, they get out and, and crawl under the broken shack to use the radio, which was which I thought was another good gag. But there's some good yeah, stuff the, like that throughout the film. The The gas station scene, I really... I, I didn't think it was really that necessary. I don't even... I, the funniest part was just, like, this old man was there sewing or and something. He was, and he was And they're, like, yelling at him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... What happens is uh, Sam Boga shoots like one of the pieces of his sewing machine, and he doesn't even he doesn't even notice anyone's there because one of the characters tries to tell him he's deaf, but Sam Boga doesn't listen, um, and then he just picks up the piece and continues sewing, and it's like he didn't even see anything happen, which is a classic gag, but it worked pretty well yeah. on this. Um, some of the did you enjoy the physical humor whenever Stan was bumbling around Kane Thompson because that is a big portion of the film. Uh, yeah, it is a big portion of the film, and not really. especially at the end where he goes to confess his love there's a scene where he knocks over a table and then he's putting things back onto the table and then he puts his one cup up on the table and then it falls down and then he picks it back up and puts on the table and it falls back down that happens like four or five times and then he gets everything back on the table and then it falls down again and i was just like please get this over with please 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 wrap this up I was just so tired of him, like, whoops, I tripped and I looked up your skirt, and all of that classic comedy of, uh, haha, I sexually harassed a woman by accident, lol. And <laughs> I... 
No, you know what? I'll agree. And I mentioned earlier that I thought that the three plot lines work well. And they kind of work thematically. Mm-hmm. But in terms of comedy, it would have been better to just have key in a fish out of water elf situation, basically. Because mm-hmm. the best scenes of the film are, for example, when he goes to the goat farm and he's just trying to eat a goat and the police <laughs> come and tell him to stop. And then in then another good scene is when he goes to court and he comes into the courtroom and he smiles at everybody in greeting and nobody smiles back <laughs> at him because he's a criminal and such like I, that. I love this one scene where he first meets um he meets Stain and the lady, I already forgot her name again. That's how much <laughs> I loved her character. And he goes like, please take this bottle back. And they're just like, what? I'm not taking your bottle. And then the narrator comes on. And he's like, the people aren't even speak. The gods aren't even speaking languages. They're just making noises like a chimp would make. They're or, chattering. Or... Yeah, chattering like monkeys. <laughs> and I love that. And yeah. I just love how like, he's like, please take this bottle back. And everyone's just like, what? I'm not taking your trash. Like, throw it out. And you know what, when Key initially initially meets Mapudi, Stain, and Kate and he's and he thinks they're the gods, I think there could have been done with there could have been more done with that sort of idea. Yeah. Which is the idea that Key comes to civilization and he thinks it's the realm of the gods or something. And yes. and, and he sort of points out the sort of and I think that would have I that would have made the title of the film fit better. Because I think what you could have done there is you could have had you could have exposed some of the contradictions that we have in modern society. Yes. Like how, like how they say early in the film that everything has become so complex that now we need to send children for twelve years to school just to learn how to operate in our society, such like that. They I love done, that line. They could have done more with that, and then it would have really fit the title. The gods must be crazy because Key could walk away thinking how you know. Sorry, you cut how, out. How silly society is, and we, we all could have learned something from it. So there was really, to me, something to be desired there in terms of, I don't know, social commentary critique. It's it's a more straightforward comedy film than you might think, than I definitely thought it was. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much all I... You kind of hit the, the hammer on the nail. Yeah? Yeah, because, I mean, that's pretty much all I, I've got to say about this movie. I, I really like the beginning... It fizzled out to almost a nothing ending. The saving grace, I guess, of the ending was a very nice shot in the anticlimactic finish. Also, I did you find the credits to be weirdly short? The credits were short. Um, they were like a minute, and there weren't. What? I don't think there was were any key at the even beginning. credited. He. That's a good question. I can check right now. Because I, I was watching it, and then maybe I looked away for a second, but when I came back, and then I watched it through, like, the whole thing, I was like, I, where were the actors on here? He is credited, um, although, and, and for one more production note, apparently the director of this, whose name is Jamie Hughes, I think it's pronounced, um, he had a, supposedly he had a very small crew, and they were all 20-somethings, and somebody okay. asked and somebody asked why he hired all young people to do this film, and he just said, because they'll do whatever I say. So <laughs> it's a pretty small cast. The credits are only like 50 seconds long. Um, but yeah. I feel like, I, think, I, uh, I feel like, like, was his family credited at all? No. And you okay. know what? So, and in terms of payment, I, I don't think they got paid at all. 
he got paid some money and then he was in sequels and eventually the director gave him like $20,000 and a monthly salary later on. So he was paid well, but everybody else I don't think got paid at all. They don't receive any royalties. As far as I know, there is only one official sequel. There is, yeah, there's an official sequel. Well, there's... I, there's a sort of okay so there's a sort of franchise there's a series I, there's five films but only two of them are directed by jamie Hughes, and okay. he says the, and he says the other one and the other ones are low budget unofficial sequels okay um so the first two are the only real gods must be crazy movies and the other ones it's kind of a Home Alone situation here. We got Home Alone 1 and 2, and then the rest of the bullshit that nobody cares about. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Overall, yeah. I would say, like, I enjoyed this movie. Um, it's, it's a fun watch. I would say watch it with some friends. Grab a beer. Do whatever you need to do. It's a fun Personally, watch. Personally, I'll maybe watch this movie again in, like, a year. Yeah, so. same. I'll probably watch it again if, you know, if I have, if this is still on my computer in a year and I don't have anything to watch and I have friends over or something. What do you I'll, mean if it's in your computer? Like if it's a disc in your like disc drive? Uh, no, I don't have a disc drive. I mean, if I, uh, uh, what? Say that again? Like you just said, if it's still in your computer. How... Yeah. Like, you know, the, you know, I purchased a movie and it's on my computer, but then, you know, sometimes maybe I'll delete it or, you know. No, oh, okay, but you own the movie. Yeah, I pay for the movie. I pay for all the movies we watch. Okay, perfect. Just checking. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's an all right watch. It leaves something to be desired. I had better expectations for the film. This is one of the films where I finished it and I liked it better than I do right now when I thought about it. <laughs> um, so the film is probably best to be watched and then kind of forgotten. Kind uh, of like uh, Return of the Jedi. Well, I don't know about that. I don't even okay. I don't even hate Return of the Jedi. I think it's fine. I don't either. I mean, it's like we we saw it like recently. It wasn't the, like I don't know. It's I remember Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi has great great moments in it. Mhm. When you see Captain Rex, that's a moment to be remembered. That is a gamer win. That's a gamer win. Um, but yeah, I mean, the film wraps up in a nice way. I enjoyed that. The, uh, key walking back to his family and especially being embraced by his son because in the beginning of the movie, his son was crying when he left. Mm -hmm. uh, just a sweet little moment we had. And then the credits roll. It's a decent package. I guess I would recommend it. Um, do you want to go to bags? You go first. I'm going to give it. Okay. So it's a decent film. Uh, was ultimately disappointed by it. I'll give it three bags out of five. Alright. Uh, I told you what I was giving it last night. No surprise to you. Might be a surprise to my to our listeners because what does this movie have again on like Rotten Tomatoes? Like a 90-something? It does. And, if, and for reference, Roger Ebert gave this three out of four stars, calling it a nice little treasure. So, unfortunately, Ebert I uh, hope you're not listening, and you're not. He uh, is. He is. I pray to Ebert every night. I don't. Week. I don't think they have Wi-Fi in hell. Wi-Fi where? In heaven. Okay. Well. Uh, so I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna give this movie a five 
solid bags of popcorn. Five out of five bags. That's crazy. No, five out of ten. Oh, five out of ten? Yeah. Oh. So 2.5 out of five. I liked it a little bit better than Lucas did. A little bit. Which tends to be the case. A lot of the critique, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of the people who don't like this film are are saying that it's basically they're they're citing racism. I don't know offensively how... racist and too gormless, even for the kids at whom it is evidently aimed. Third world cinema of a quite uncommon kind. What? That's Sheila Johnston of Time Out, the Steam publication. I don't really agree. I I was watching this movie. Like I don't really, I don't think the film is racist because I mean there's where our straight up key is straight up his character. So there are people that <laughs> act like this. It's it's not racist to say that there are people who are cut away from civilization. And they don't really make he stupid because he's incredibly competent in the film actually. They cite him as like the best tracker, one of the best trackers in the world. He he immobilizes the guards basically single handedly. I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's racist. If you don't like to see naked African people in the bush, then you might think it's racist, but otherwise, whatever. It's fine. My favorite review for this movie definitely has to be Quote Not Available by Daniel M. Kimmel, because (laughs) that one really sums up the movie and lets me know what it's about. Yeah. uh, Somebody ripped him off. Quote Not Available by Emmanuel Levy. Fuck you. From EmmanuelLevy.com. You know, it's weird that they have the same review, but one is run and one is fresh. And then I go to his website and I get a 404. All right. Thank you. You know, hey, you know how it'll be. Bandwidth don't grow on trees. It don't. Server space. Do you think server space is free? No. It's not. Costs a lot. Do you know how many reviewers there are? Go to, go to the, go to like the Rise of Skywalker. Look at how many reviewers there are. Now think of how yeah, many okay. reviewers. Think no. Think of how many reviewers are not on the site right now. Yeah. Okay? There's a tons of movie reviewers. What we're doing different is we're giving it to you straight. We're giving it to you honest, and we're doing it with style. Is fifty two a little high for Rise of Skywalker? That's like about right. Eighty six audience score. That's so embarrassing. That is pretty embarrassing. I don't really understand that because. The Last Jedi has a horrible audience score. Uh, we'll never review Last Jedi, so I'll say I actually didn't hate the film that much. I'd probably give it like a three bag. It's a three bagger. It's a three bagger. I'll say it. Like I was thinking about this a while ago. Like, is it embarrassing if you have an eighty-six percent audience score for a movie where the cast and director shit talk the movie? Uh. <laughs> Um, you know what? Just don't worry about it, bro. Okay, I won't. And the the poster of the movie is a fucking action figure. Huh? What do do you mean? Did you not know that? No. The Rise of Skywalker poster with Palpatine in the background is a rendering of of an action figure of Emperor Palpatine. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. Oh. That's why he looks so silly. He's Darth Silius. Oh my god, you're right. It's a it's off a hot toy. Yeah. There's no hot toys. They took the Empire. Oh my god. You're right. You know what? Maybe it's just a really accurate hot toy that they used. 
I don't know. Rise of Skywalker. Hey, guys. Was it the best movie ever? No. Was it the worst movie ever? No. So what's the issue? It was crap. Well, you know, that's arguable, too. Carrie Russell's in it. I like Carrie Russell. Did you like that jump scare with Ray when she had sharp teeth? <laughs> that was really silly. <laughs> There's a lot of silly things in that movie. Um, so next week, we are going to start our sci-fi month with a bang. We're going to start with Wrath of Khan. Yes. And then after that, we'll do Barbarella. And then, do you want, and then what do you want to do third? Might as well end um, the whole slate. We'll do THX, and then we'll end it with a bang with They Live. Yeah, you know, They Live's getting a lot of bags. It's minimum, getting some full bags. Minimum between us, you're looking at minimum eight bags between the yeah. both of us. Yeah. Or no, actually, because Luke scale is different. You're minimum looking at 10 bags, 12. <laughs> well, that, a lot of bags of popcorn for that one. That's a good movie. We went and saw it at this local, um, I I wouldn't call it a theater. Uh, venue, venue. A local venue. They just do like comedy shows or, or music shows or movies. And they have a cult movie lineup. I don't believe they're running it right now because no, it's under repair or whatever. No, but, they're not. <laughs> um, we saw They Live, uh, their... I don't even... How long ago was that? Like half a year ago? That must have been a year ago. I can probably check here. Um, That was February 25th, 2019. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. The That's a... I, I can't wait to review that movie because it's it's so it's strange but i i like it a lot um we're not going to talk about any potential anti-semitic themes because we do not believe they exist i was going to talk about on the on the episode just to say it's really like if you see a movie where i okay spoiler alert if you haven't seen it i'm just going to spoil right now if you see if you watch a movie where aliens are controlling the public through advertisement and the first thing that you think of is jews um you might want to maybe that's on you (laughs) that might be a you problem i'll agree with that that's probably going to be a you problem if you think that but if you watch like a phantom menace and you see wado with a long nose and a neck beard and the only thing he thinks about is money and he has an (laughs) accent and And he owns child slaves yeah, that one is that was. I don't know what George was. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking there. And then George goes like, "Oh, it's um, it's just a, it's just an alien." We're gonna and... have a, we're gonna have a special episode called the uh, racism in Star Wars episode. Sure. Um, and we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about Jabba's original design, and we're gonna <laughs> talk about uh, Jar Jar Binks. You know, he was just and... a frog. It's just a weird-looking frog that speaks a weirdly particular way. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. Uh, next week, Wrath of Khan. Get excited. Um, Wrath of Khan. We're doing Star Trek again. Oh, yeah. Not going to be the last time, so get excited. I don't really... Well, you know. Okay. We're doing a double feature with the appearance of Khan, Season 1, Episode 23, I believe, Space Seed. Watch it if you haven't. It's a good episode, and it's even better if you watch it 
with the movie and after the movie too. Well, I should watch it before the movie. You should watch it before the movie. There is an interesting bit of trivia that ties in really funny with the episode and the movie, but I'm going to wait to see if you catch it and I'll tell it on the air. We're going to make it a triple review. We're also reviewing Star Trek Into Darkness. I was thinking, like, Wrath of Khan is pretty interesting in that in J.J. Abrams' three movies, two were original and one was just a ripoff of Wrath of Khan. I, I think the studio... I can't cite this exactly, because I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure the studio made him do this. And, because... But that's just a testament of how important that movie was. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Apparently, okay, I'm reading here. References to Star Trek II Rathacon were at, eventually added to the script, but Lindelof, Orsi, and Kurtzman were every wary of the line between reimagined homage and direct ripoff. I can mm. tell, so you can tell just by that line that they didn't really want to. Uh, but the studio was like, what if we did Khan again? And then they made a piece of shit movie. Spoiler, Don't. Star Trek Into Darkness, piece of shit. One or two bags. I'll give it, I'll give it two. I'll pr- I'd probably give it two on my scale. Uh, because it's so great when Kirk dies and then they give him whatever the opposite of AIDS is. And then he comes back to they, life. They give him anti-space AIDS, and he's like, oh, shit, I'm back. They don't have the balls to let a character die for one movie. Did get the Academy nomination for Best Visual Effects. Didn't win. Um, okay, that's Into Darkness for you. I will. I'll defend Star Trek 09 till the day I die. I will. I'll do it. You're free to, buddy. I haven't seen Beyond, though. I need to rewatch it. I think they're... 09 and Beyond are on Netflix. Check them out. It's probably actually deliberate that they skipped Into Darkness. Not a good movie. Just watch those (laughs) two and you'll be good. You're not missing anything because nothing happens. Because everybody who dies comes back to life. (laughs) So, there it is. Uh, So, yeah. We'll see see you next time. I'll see you, the audience, next time. I'll see me next time. Get, get excited. We're doing Star Trek. Going to be a nice Star Trek episode again. Yep. And they're going to be... There will there, there will be multiple more agains in the future. We... TBD. Uh, no, it's Deed. I'm saying right now. Well, you know. Uh, maybe. Well... Just don't, make, just don't make any plans, okay? Like, maybe we do Star Trek. Maybe we won't, okay? Well, I, it's just I'm no, saying... No, it's, 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 just, it's just that's enough. Also, you know what? I'm going to preemptively say in July, we also are going to be doing Day of the Dead. Uh, sure. Why Why can't we do that in June? Oh, wait. June comes first. Yeah, in June. Yeah, we can do that in June. All right, that's it. That's it for today. I'm going to go play RuneScape. I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to try to stave off the existential dread. Hey, if you want a very fitting movie to watch, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, um, that is, that's probably, I would say, if you're going to pick a film to watch during this period of history that we all find ourselves in, Dawn, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead is going to scratch it. Do not watch the Zack Snyder version. Do not. <laughs> don't do it. Biggest mistake of my life. Just don't watch it. It's not, like, horrendously bad, but... 
it's the other one is so good. <laughs> you just don't need to see the Zack Snyder one. Go 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 steal it if you have to. If you have to steal the movie, steal it. Okay. There it is. All right. There it is. Another episode under our belt. What is this episode fifteen? Uh, I think this is eighteen. Oh man, we're we're really in it. Yeah, we're in the thick of it. All right. Well, don't forget All to right. follow us on. We should add. We should do like the people do. You know how they say, follow us on Spotify. Yeah. Follow Go us ahead, on, you do it. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on iTunes. We're on umfm.com. You can check out our stuff. Search "Call to Personality" umfm. Um. Thank you. To we have Instagram. We have Instagram. It's Cop Podcast. C O P Podcast. Uh, we're gonna be uploading posts related to each episode and some bonuses. Uh, thank you to Audible for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> thank you for Shitbox. Uh, use code Cop to get fifteen percent off uh, uh, boxes of shit mailed to your house from different animals each month. Um. You get really a nice menagerie there. It's it's kind of like a zoological wonder box. Mm-hmm. Um, so check it out. Uh, it's worth it. We get bucks from that. We keep the lights on. The show's very expensive. It is. It, very expensive. Mics aren't cheap. Mics aren't cheap. They're not free. And I want the fidelity to be good every episode. So I just after every episode, I take the mic, toss it in the trash... Because I don't want you know, wires to, you know, degrade or whatever. So I have to buy new mic every episode. That's, That's how much I'm dedicated to this show. Cop podcasts are, you know how we be, always fresh. The freshest equipment we got cycled in every week. We have to we have to get an outro and intro song going. Uh, yeah, we can, uh, an original composition or royalty. Yeah, I'll pay, I'll, I'll pay some poor sucker on Twitter. Uh, you know, 20, 20 buckies to get this going. To to put a little jingle jangle together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you can. All right. Take care. Can... Okay. Well. I'm shutting your butt down. All right. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> take care. <laughs>